page 1048 in your pew Bible. Let me just start by, by saying this. We're, we have literally, just this last week, sort of packed up our house, everything we own, and we're sort of living this sort of Abraham life of being called to this, this thing that we don't exactly know even how to articulate. And so we're, we're, we're in between now. We don't even have a place to live lined up in London yet. We um, moved out of our place in San Francisco. So now after 10 years of ministry with the homeless, we are officially homeless ourselves. <laughs> so you can pray about that, that we can find a place. Uh, I was on the flight out here um, alone. Pam and the kids came early this week and interacting with some people sitting around me. And they were kind of asking where I was from. And I was like, I don't know anymore. I just spent 10 years in San Francisco. We've packed it up and we're sort of in between, uh, you know, in, in Hingham and Boston for the week. And then off we go. And um, it's kind of odd to be in the midst of that, that in-between space. And uh, this, is, this is sort of a chapter here in the life of the early church that's kind of in between. It's weird. It's, uh, it's the resurrection. The, the climax of the gospel has sort of happened. It's this great moment in the story. And um, we're sort of about to roll into the life of the early church in the gospel of, or the gospel of Acts, in the book of Acts. But right here in between, there's this sort of weird period of time where the disciples aren't quite sure what's going on. And, and even, even the resurrection is sort of new and strange to them. They've been through a pretty traumatic weekend. Uh, it's been full of mystery and wonder and, and just all, a whole range of emotions. And you can kind of see in, in this chapter in, in Luke 24 uh, that they're, they're still dealing with their, their sense of confusion and disorientation. You see Emmaus. It's sort of this encounter where they're with Jesus and they don't quite know they're with Jesus until the very end. You guys covered that a couple of weeks ago. And um, so we get, to, we get to kind of step into this, this moment um, here in this gospel. So let's, let's look at this together. Verse 36. While they were still talking about, about this, what had just happened, um, the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I love how Luke is kind of winding down the story of Jesus here in this gospel. And it's, it's sort of this great, there's a literary word, it's French, it's kind of fancy, and it makes me sound really intelligent. It's denouement. Have you heard that word? It's kind of what happens in any movie or um, at the end of a great novel when the story is sort of over, but it's sort of tying up the loose threads. In fact, that French word is about the threads of the knot sort of being tied back up or untied or something like that. But it's this sense of the story is over, Jesus is, is resurrected from the dead, and these are those final little moments where Jesus begins appearing to some of his faithful disciples, and you start to see what happens. So in a, in a great movie or a book, you know, at the end of a, a romantic comedy, it's sort of that wedding and the, and the party afterwards where the character lines are all kind of tied up in a nice in a nice bow. And this is a little bit of what happens. But it's disorienting and it's confusing. And you guys talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy preached on 
um, the, the confusion, um, even the, the sense of just frustration, fear that came over the disciples, um, the two that were with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And so they're back together and they're talking about it. And I, this is sort of a simple story, um, just a little window into this moment that Jesus has with the 11 disciples where he just suddenly appears in the room while they're talking this stuff over and, and, and steps in and says, Peace be with you. And I love that, I love that this one is one of his first words. That's, that, that's his greeting. That's his message as he steps in to their confusion and their trouble, their uncertainty. Um, I sort of wonder, before we glide past this, if there's a moment in your life or something going on in your life that, that you've engaged in this week that's, that's troubling, that's causing doubt, that's, that's frustrating, and maybe it would just be good to pause even and to hear the words of Jesus say, peace, peace be with you in the midst of that. Maybe just take a moment and, and, and breathe that in, Jesus appearing and saying, peace. He steps into the, the disciples' confusion and, and disorientation in their discussion, and he's there, and he's live, and he's in the flesh, and he's fully, fully resurrected. He's on the other side of crucifixion, the other side of the grave, and he steps in, and he says to them, Peace be with you. And that's a really different kind of greeting, especially for one who, is, who has been dead and has been raised to, to full life. And their response out of this confusion and disorientation is they're, they're startled. I mean, this is kind of just startling stuff for, for Jesus, who they, who they saw undergo a really traumatic death and saw buried, to suddenly um, appear and speak peace. And in the midst of that, they're frightened. I would imagine being frightened too. I think it's, it's sort of ironic to think that, that they're seeing a ghost when the ghost is speaking words of peace and blessing, right? I don't know of very many ghost stories that are like, Peace be with you. Uh, be, I don't know if that would be spooky enough. Uh, but, but here's Jesus. So uh, there's, there's no way he's a ghost. He's, he's for real. He's hungry. He wants lunch. Um, and he has the presence of mind because he's, he is divine and he's, he's God incarnate and he's in the flesh and he's on the other side of the grave to say to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And his response to them is, look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. And these, these are men who had been close companions, close, close friends of Jesus all, all through this last few years of ministry and life together. So I'm sure in the back of their minds, there's this sort of this, this flashing memory, this, the kind of the movie reel of the last few years, and they see his hands and his feet, and they've walked miles with those feet. And they have shared, they've, they've tugged on fishing lines um, with those hands. And they have, they've journeyed together and partnered together. And so there's, there's immediately the sense of, I'm going to point to my body as a way to remind you that it's me. And another thing they see when they look at those hands and, and those feet are the marks of wounding and crucifixion. Uh, in the midst of his speaking peace, he also is, is, is proving that it's him. He's, he's been crucified. He, he, he bears the marks, though he's fully resurrected and on the other side of the grave and full of life 
and restoration, he bears the marks of one who has suffered and died. And he, and he uses that as his calling card as well. You can know this is me because look, this is my phone number. It is I myself. Don't just look at it, touch it and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I think this must have made such a lasting impression on, on this room full of people um, that even later on they, they, write, they reference back to this. John um, writes a letter in 1 John 1 verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This isn't just a great idea. It's not just a, a hoax that we decided to pull off on the world because we, we needed to, to prove that he had been raised. We saw it. We touched it. We engaged with it. This is the word of life that we proclaim. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, this was just too good to be true. Just, it's still just so stunning that they couldn't even believe it. And these are the disciples that have walked with him all of these, all of these years through so many um, amazing adventures. And he's with them now in the flesh, and it's just so, it's, it's too good to be true. And he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? It's such a, such a human moment with Jesus. It just still, it, it, it proves his, his divine um, nature and yet his human, he just feels the need for some lunch. And maybe they've got you know, some of his favorite fish just kind of sitting there ready to go or it's their leftovers or whatever. And they give him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate in their presence. And I, and I think that that's just, it's just a great little detail that, that Luke throws in to say he's not an angel Angels eat heavenly food. He's not a ghost. He's, he's a real, live person. He showed up in the flesh, and he finished off the leftovers. And I think in the back of, in the back of their minds as well, as they experienced this, this simple little meal with Jesus, they also probably flashed through all of those meals that they had shared. The campfire meals, the, the feasts with the Pharisees, the teachings that Jesus gave about where to sit at a banquet when you invite the poor, who to invite when you invite the outcast, the lame and the blind to a meal, just suddenly all of that eating and uh, being together, which is a, really a theme in Luke. If you kind of think back through the last couple of years as, you, as you've studied it, there's a lot of eating and feasting in the kingdom and, and certainly in Jesus' life. It's one of the ways that they know who he is. I think that's probably going through their minds too. It's like recognizing someone who's walking up from far away and knowing the way they walk and sort of knowing who they are by, by their posture or their gait. And here's Jesus, just as familiar as he could be to these friends, sharing, sharing some food. So they give him some and he eats it in their presence. I think it's Jesus' way of, even in the midst of their sense of it still not being believable, just saying, here I am, alive, well, and hungry. So I think, you know, uh, just kind of putting a cap on the, our life and ministry in San Francisco with, with homeless runaways and drug addicts and the mentally ill and our kind of pouring out of investment 
of ourselves for 10 years on these streets in this city that we love. It wasn't easy to pack up and leave. Um, and very often, I, I, I wished that it would be as easy as Jesus just sort of appearing alive and in the flesh and pointing to his hands and feet and just speaking peace over Golden Gate Park to the drug addicts, to the runaways, to the throwaways of our society. I often just wish Jesus just come here and just walk through this park and just just speak peace and show yourself. And then I kind of flash forward and think in, in London as we move into this this housing project and our, our kids are playing with neighbor kids and and it's it's Bengali and it's Pakistani and it's a, a whole new Muslim context that we don't even know enough about to even talk about really right now. What I wish most is that Jesus could just kind of walk into that neighborhood and proclaim peace. And then I think, you know, here the disciples needed it and they had journeyed with him for three years. Surely, surely the world could use this. But let me make a connection that Paul makes as he begins to talk about this body of Christ. Because he talks about it in terms of us, as the church, as the people of God, being the very hands and the feet, the representatives of this resurrected and restored body of Jesus, the same one that appears here to the disciples. Look at, look at the teachings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. I've got those written down in your, in your sermon notes if you've got them, but we're in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The body is a unit. And though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, and so it is with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Further down in the chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Take a look. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. I could go on. Some of the other letters that Paul writes in Colossians, he says, and he's head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. In Romans, he says, just as each of us has, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And there's this emphasis, this theme in, in the teaching of Paul on the, the unity of the body of Christ that comes out of our diversity, our multiple parts, our multiple gifts, our multiple locations, and yet we are the body of Christ. And I, I know this kind of seems like, well, what, 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 how does that connect to what's going on here in Luke? And I guess I want to say, as, as the church together, we now are the ones that walk out into Golden Gate Park or step onto the, 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 the soil in London or move about our business and our lives here on the South Shore. And we are the ones that are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And I think very often we kind of hear that cliche and we get, we get, it, we get it preached at us and we think, okay, I am, I am a representative of Jesus. And I think that's, that's totally true. But Paul's theme here in terms of being a body is that we collectively, together, represent this body. And so Jesus, as he shows up to his disciples... 
Um, he shows up live and in the flesh, and he has something to point to. And it's his hands and his feet. He says, go ahead and look, go ahead and touch, it's me. And I think he's, he's left us his spirit and the full personality and power of his, of his presence as the body, as the church, to go back into the world and say, here's what we have to show. And sometimes it's something we can be proud of, and sometimes it's sort of shameful, the way, the way our, uh, we as a church re- represent ourselves in the world. But I, I want us to kind of think about that, that, that posture that we could have as the people of God representing the body of Christ on the other side of resurrection, fully redeemed and fully restored, and saying, here's what we have. The power and the presence of Jesus, but it's incarnate. You can touch it. Take a look at our hands. Take a look at our feet. Um, one of my favorite cafes in San Francisco that I'm going to miss incredibly, they make a great cappuccino, and I'm a little bit afraid that coffee is not going to be found in London. Do you have any good coffee in London? Just tea. He doesn't even drink coffee. So um, I'm, in, I'm in this place every, every other day, um, see these people working there all the time. Um, it's not Starbucks. It's a nice little independent joint. And um, I, I went in there a, a, a few weeks back, and I told the owner, um, this terrific woman that I've befriended just by being in there so much, I said, hey, you know, I, I should tell you that my days here at the cafe are numbered. We're moving on. We're moving to London. And she kind of gets huffy and says, well, you didn't consult with me about that. How could you do that? And uh, I said, well, you know, so what, what, what are you going for? What are you going to do? And so I described what we've been up to in San Francisco as she's kind of seen it and, and working with the homeless and all this stuff in San Francisco. And then I said, in London, we're going to be uh, moving into kind of a housing project and working on community organizing and then launching teams into Africa and the Middle East. And, and uh, she goes, wow, that's really cool. Are you, um, is this like a religious thing? And so I, it was a great opportunity for me to say, yeah, in fact, we're all followers of Jesus doing this together. You've probably seen us in here as I've been meeting with people right here in this cafe. And she goes, well, okay, well, what kind? And I think she's trying to get me to sort of claim a certain brand of Jesus follower. And she's on the lookout. And so I say, well, actually, we're all kinds. We're, um, we've got a bunch of different types from different na- nations, uh, different personalities, uh, different denominations. And she goes, wait a minute, you mean like, like Baptists and Presbyterians and, you know, Charismatics all kind of working together? And I said, yeah. She goes, wow, that's, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it turns out we don't actually like to kill each other. We can't get along. <laughs> and you can kind of see the wheels turning in her, and all of a sudden she goes, you know, my parents are Jesus followers. And I can kind of see the conversation turning. And, and then as we talk a little bit more, she says, you know, before you go to London, I want to, I want to get your email. There's a family there that I want to introduce you to. I want you guys to connect. They've got kids, and I think you guys would be great friends. And I just kind of, I realized... How often do you get to tell someone that you follow Jesus and sort of describe what you're up to in life, and they actually say, well, that's really cool, and I want to introduce you to my friends? And uh, that could be a testimony to how cool we are or any of that kind of stuff, but it's not. I actually think that's about someone understanding the body of Christ actually being unified and at work, and the body of Christ being active and alive in the world. 
See, she, she totally got it because it made sense. It was an apologetic, an, a defense of our faith that she can understand. Because we, we, we often, and, and I don't want to toss out proclamation um, and, and proclaiming the gospel and having a, a ready answer, but very often um, people are looking for exactly what the disciples needed in this moment here at the end of Luke. Something to look at. Uh, something to show for our faith, some, some hand to grab onto and say, this is real. Um, one of the guys that I got to say goodbye to this week was incredibly painful. I mean, just sort of the emotional roller coaster of wrapping up life in, uh, in a place you've invested in for 10 years. I'm having breakfast with this kid that I got to know 10 years ago when he was on the streets uh, a strung out drug addict, um, escaped from the, the foster care system when he was really young, abused by his adoptive parents. Just a really bad situation. And now, uh, this guy is, uh, he's, he's married. He's got a little baby boy. He's running his own courier business downtown in San Francisco. They bought a house, so they're like officially wealthier than Pam and I. It's kind of interesting seeing the tran- total transformation happen. And he's kind of grasping on to this, this faith, this fledgling faith that he's had for uh, about 10 years. And it's, it's really kind of the fruit of our investment in his life. And he takes the time to actually say to me, you know, I, I want to say that you and Pam just being loving and faithful in my life over 10 years, just, just kind of being there, has allowed me to kind of step out and, and live my life in a better way. Just you guys being faithful and believing in me when I didn't believe in me. Uh, I, I think that's the kind of evidence, the kind of proof, the sort of apologetic that you can touch and grab onto that, that invites you over for dinner when you're hungry that, that people respond to. And uh, it's, it's, just, it's a gift. I felt like I was at my own funeral this week because I was having all these interactions with people saying, thank you, and man, what a gift you've been. And I, I think I st- stood back and said, through the power of God, we have been able, not just me and Pam, but this whole movement of, of the body of Christ in our neighborhood and in our city in San Francisco, we have been able to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And in the midst of our confusing times and our, and our really kind of torn up, messed up world, sort of huddled together like these disciples at the end of Luke, sort of wondering what the next move is. Jesus, live and and incarnate and fully restored and resurrected, steps in and, and speaks peace. And we get that opportunity. Not just as missionaries, but as the people of God. You guys, as South Shore Baptist Church, in your context, in your neighborhood, Right here, you get to be this, this resurrected body that's not quite there, but is on the way. And it's something to show for the faith that we profess. Um, you know, there's another point to this that I, I don't want to miss, and that's the fact that the hands and feet that Jesus showed had been wounded. He had, he's resurrected, and he's fully alive and restored, and he's, he's got all of life conquered over death through the power of God. But what he has to show are nail-pierced hands and feet. 
And if we are the body of Christ stepping out into the world, part of what we show in our own mess, in our own um, becoming, is a sense of we've, we have been wounded and we are willing to suffer. And I, I think the context around us, I think this is why this, this woman at the cafe was actually paying attention when I talked about what we do. The context around us is, is very used to sort of ignoring a sugar-coated, comfortable um, version of, of Christianity that, that we can sort of accidentally spread around by, by not being transparent, by not being aware, and, and um, by not being willing to suffer with Jesus out of, out of grace, out of the power that he provides through his spirit. So I think if you, if you want an apologetic for the world, you don't just show up as the body of Christ, but you show up and you show them your places of wounding and you describe what it means to be healed and what it means to be restored through resurrection. And that is a, that is a real gift to the world around us. Um, Jeremy talked about the, uh, the power of the scripture and the way Jesus, even in Luke 24, at, in Emmaus and other places, um, revealed to them the scripture at the appropriate time and the power of the word to do that, to transform and to bring regeneration. And I want to I add to that because you see it here even at the bottom part of Luke 24. Um, and I'm just kind of flashing ahead. I hope I'm not giving away Jeremy's sermon for next week. But I, I want to touch on these verses for, for next week because you see both here. In verse 44, he says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. So he, he mentions scripture. In verse 45, he opens their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So there really is power in the word being proclaimed. There's also power in, in people being sent ones. The body and the, the hands and the feet of Jesus. And, and you see this as well. And later on as he's addressing them in verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So it's this great combination of proclamation and yet presence. And we are that presence. We, we, as the body of Christ, even though I realize it's just a metaphor, we are the, the, the resurrected expression of Jesus in this world. And our, our capacity to be engaged and alive and, and active is living proof of that. That's why Jesus sends us out. So, uh, in, in London, there's this place, did you go by uh, Speaker's Corner? This, in Hyde Park, you can get up on a, on a you, some of you have heard this, you can kind of get up and give a speech. Anybody's welcome to, to preach. And um, I think there's this, it's a really, it's a fascinating way to proclaim. And so I don't want to, uh, I'm, not, I'm not knocking that at all. Um, what I'm describing here is the hands and the feet of Jesus living and incarnate and not just speaker's corner but hanging out on, on the street corner in a neighborhood that no one else wants to go in. Um, the, the guys in the neighborhood we're going to be living in as, as a young adult, as a Bengali male, your two choices are either going to be being a gang member or being a radicalized Muslim and uh, joining uh, the potential terrorist movement. 
Those are your two choices. What would it mean for the body of Christ to hang out on those street corners as young men opt for one of those two choices and to say, Here, here's my hands, here's my feet, touch them, let's engage life together, and now let me teach you everything that, that the Spirit has taught. What would it look like for you as a congregation at South Shore Baptist Church to really, to really step out and incarnate that, that sense of resurrection power that Jesus is communicating here. It's a little add-on to the end of the story at the back end of Luke, but it has a lot of power because it shows, even for the disciples, the importance of showing up, the importance of an, an apologetic that you can grasp by the hand. Let me, let me pray for you as a church. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the life that you give us through the power of your resurrection. And we want to claim that as individuals and claim it as your church. I pray that you would make us a people um, active and engaged and alive in this world that can communicate peace in troubled times. I pray that you would make that so of this congregation. I pray that their ministry of presence and their proclamation of peace on the south shore of Boston would be deeper and wider than we can imagine. I pray that you would go with me and Pam and the others that are joining us to proclaim peace in the midst of a Muslim context that has fingers into other parts of the world that we can't imagine. Lord God, thank you for the presence of your spirit that enables all of this to happen. And we pray that as we move out and engage life and the world around us, that it wouldn't be in our name or in our power, but in your name to bring you glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. To the word, if you would find the words to in Christ alone in your bulletin. Christ alone is our only hope. He's the only hope for the world around us. He speaks to us. He can speak peace through us. Would you please stand and let's join together in Christ alone. My hope is found. <laughs>